All right. Good morning, everyone. I ask you to uh, find a seat and uh, let's just turn our attention towards the things that God has us gathered together for. I think it's good that we have to ask one another to take it down, right? It's good to hear people fellowshipping and enjoying uh, just seeing each other and sharing in our relationships in Christ. So it's all good and uh, very happy to see that and hear it. So, you know, I tell my daughters uh, very rarely do we have the privilege of having the three of them together and uh, they happen to like each other a lot, which I know having daughters, I was warned that they would not and I was always warned how bad it would be. And it was at times, actually. No. Uh, but I, all kidding aside, my when we are together... Uh, one of my fondest life memories as a dad was just listening to them enjoy each other. Uh, so when we gather for worship, that same thing is true of God himself. And so the Psalms just tell us how good and how beautiful it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. That there's something about that that is so fundamentally encouraging and thrilling and to think that as we gather to join our hearts in what is true together and to sing that in song and proclaim that before God brings joy to God himself okay that's a thought that always just sets me back that I find pleasure in God yes I find great joy in his grace and forgiveness but he finds pleasure in a redeemed sinner and in redeemed sinners together, he finds joy in us. And that's a thought that I hope as we sing truth that you know, the hope is that the singing would remind us that God finds pleasure in our singing, in that offering to him. And that, that's something that should cause you to sing a little louder and with a little more joy together for the glory of God. Uh, two things we want to remind you of is we have youth group this Wednesday night at 6.30 here at the building. And then we have a baptism service planned for September 26th. There's a sign-up sheet out in the hall. Dave Mercer will be there to answer any questions you have about that. If you have come to faith in Christ, uh, the first habitual command in the New Testament is that people believed and then were baptized. So we want to encourage you, if you've trusted Christ, if you know his grace, and you've never participated in believer's baptism as an adult or as a, you know what I'm saying, right? From like whatever age you come to faith in Christ, not, I was sprinkled and dipped. So people say I was like an ice cream cone, right? <laughs> So uh, the Bible teaches believers' baptism. It's what we practice as a celebration of the gospel. And it's another thing that we do together. It's one of my favorite uh, services that I attend. And uh, so we, we want to celebrate that joy of people coming to faith in Christ together. So would you stand with me this morning? <clears throat> Let's just give thanks to the Lord. And I hope that you will today sing before the Lord with great joy. Father, we are thankful. Uh, that we can come together as family if we know Christ. We have been brought into a new household that God is building. Father, we thank you that it is not by our performance that we come into your family. Thank you that it is purely free grace. And so, Lord, this morning we don't sing proud of our accomplishments. We sing with joy and pride in the work of Christ as saving as life-changing, as shame-eliminating Savior. So, Lord, we come from all different places. We have all different stories this morning. But if we know Jesus, we have our stories merging together. A group of people redeemed by the grace of God. 
who don't brag about who they are in Christ, but with joy proclaim it. So, Lord, this morning we're going to hear your word. We're going to sing songs together. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table together, sharing communion, which is our proclaiming Christ as Savior. So, Lord, fill our hearts with joy as we sing, as we listen, as we give, as we participate in your table. Be central to it all, Lord Jesus. We pray for that blessing to be accomplished as we sing together right now. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's worship him together. Morning, everybody. Let's sing. He's coming on the clouds. He's coming on the clouds. The kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break. His broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Open up the gates. So open up the gates. Make way before the King of Kings. Our God. Our God who comes to save. Is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion. Stop the Lord Almighty. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Who can st
King of Heaven. Lord, this morning we give you glory and honor and praise forever. Lord, still be our vision, still be our drive, our moving forward, Lord, the thing that moves us on, Lord, to you. I know many people have sung this song for many years of their life, and it's a mantra to them that you would still be the vision, still be the goal to worship and praise you, to give our lives to you to become more like you. 
And God, we don't care about man's praises. We don't care about what the world has to say to us. If they praise us, if they love us, if they hate us. As Christians, God, we know that the only thing that matters is our forgiveness in you, our redemption in you, is Jesus Christ. God, we thank you this morning. We can sing these things, proclaim these things to each other. We ask now as we hear your word, you be glorified by our listening and our then doing of the word. Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. You can be seated. So we're pr- currently working through the book of Malachi together. And um, James was scheduled for today, but he's under the weather and he's not feeling well. So I'm uh, pinch hitting um, today. So, but because I found out yesterday afternoon there wasn't time to prepare. Oh, you know what? The chatter reminds me. Um, junior church is open for young people. So thank you. Good reminder. So um, I chose a passage that I preached here about a decade ago that I think is really interesting to me because if the people on Malachi's day would have taken this to heart, Malachi would not have had to write when he did. So it does dovetail in in many ways with the passage, passages in Malachi. So if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn back to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 5 to 12 in our time together this morning. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Father, again, it's a great joy to be with your people. Lord, I pray that you would be our all-consuming vision. Because, Father, if we start with that, um, everything in our lives will be different. Lord, as we look into your word, would you just quiet our hearts, allow us to focus afresh upon you, and we would pray that your spirit would do that work in our hearts, open our eyes, enlighten us to the truth of your word. And Father, if you do that, we will go out of here different people. So Lord, please do your good work. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So I don't know how many of you have been following the Olympics. It's always a wonderful time of the year to watch people at their best. Isn't it amazing? I see, I, I see what people can do with their bodies sometimes, and I think to myself, like, how's that even possible? It's just, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. Dan, I even was watching some of the wrestlers. I just want you to know that. It was, it's an amazing thing to watch that. You could appreciate that more than me. But one of the things you find sometimes with athletic stars is that they are laser-focused, really, really good in that sport, but their lives are a wreck in other areas. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not putting any of them down. It's an amazing thing that they do. But it's really sad to me here about people who have dysfunctional relationships. But man, can they kick a soccer ball. You know what I love about the scriptures? God is not concerned that you and I are skillful in just one area. Do you know? Rather, what God wants is for us to be skillful in all relationships and into all responsibilities of life. 
He, he's multifaceted. It's everything. And that's why he calls it wisdom. Because wisdom's about being able to move into all my relationships and to fulfill all of my responsibilities in a way that is consistent with God's design for me. It means we live life skillfully, not just one slice of life skillfully. The term is wisdom. And what Proverbs 3, 5 to 12 does, it tells us where it all begins. And it doesn't begin by me talking to you about what it means to be a good husband or wife or worker or church member or whatever. You know where it starts? It starts with looking at your relationship with God. And wisdom says, if your relationship with God is the way that it should be, then from that relationship, you can span out into all of your horizontal relationships and live life differently. So it's a great text. What does it mean for you and I to start with that foundation with God? And what does that look like? What does it mean for us? He's going to tell us, give us five ways in which that happens. I know I'm violating. Preachers are supposed to do three. We're going to do five today because that's what the text does. So we go with the text. So look at what he says. And some of these are very, very familiar verses. Verse 5 of Proverbs chapter 3. And I would argue that the first characteristic is to rest in God fully. Look at what he says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Do you see what he says? I mean, what if the text said, trust in God with 75% of your heart? You know, reserve that last 25 for those times when you say, hey God, I know what you've said, but if I do that, this is going to happen. Therefore, you, you know, right? When, when God's will and Doug's will are the same, it's a no-brainer. It's really easy. I, I love to obey and trust God when I agree with him. When does it get hard? It gets hard when we disagree. So you're a parent. And you, we've all had this experience with our, or with our children. Where you say to yourself, I, I know what God wants me to do as I discipline them. They're not going to like it, but it's the right thing to do. But don't you start thinking in, at that moment in your mind and go like, yeah, but if I do that, it's going to create problems with them here and they're going to start crying. And our mind just starts going, doesn't it? And what this text calls us to do is, in those times, before you think of her or him, think of him. And that changes everything. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You're in a work situation. And you know you ought to speak up. You ought to say something. Or somebody even asks, you know, there's Christians, and you think to yourself, well, that's me. I should be saying something. But you're afraid. And you're afraid because you say, if I say something, there could be a whole rippling effect. I mean, we've all been there. You may be there now. What does it mean in those moments to trust in God with everything inside of me, in total abandon, where I say, God, I'll do it your way. Now, it better be his way, and not what you're saying is his way. Fair enough. So make sure it's clear in the scripture. But if it is, 
You can rest in God fully and not put your weight. The problem with Doug Finkbeiner is I put my weight on Doug Finkbeiner. And he says here, don't lean on your own logic and reasoning. Just go with God. Go with God, with your wife, with your husband, with your coworker, with your neighbor, with the church member, whatever it is, go with God. I um, had a professor in seminary who's written one of the best commentaries on Proverbs, in my opinion, Bruce Walkie, just a brilliant guy. Um, and he, I'll never forget in that class, we were, I don't remember if, I, I think we were talking about this passage. But he told a story that I've never forgotten. He told us that he had a, um, he had a really good friend who grew up in Florida who had never seen snow in his entire life. I'll tell you what, I, part of me said that would be a pretty cool thing, right? But, but anyway, uh, had never seen snow. And you know, so he, he knew it would snow and the lakes would freeze over, but he was just really nervous. Well, the guy moved from Florida to New England. And he said that first winter snow came. And it was cold, I mean, zero degrees, the whole thing. And people were saying, you can actually go out on the lake. He thought to himself, I don't know, just nervous, uncertain about, you know, you know what it's like, right? So he said he went down to the lake and he got down on all fours and he just started to slowly go out on the lake. You know, one hand, one hand, one knee, one knee. When all of a sudden, this horse-drawn sleigh went storming by him across the lake. And he said, he said he felt like an absolute idiot. You know, here he is going like. Isn't that how some of us live our lives? I know what God said, but I, I mean, I, maybe it will break. And other people just say, God said it and they go right across life. There is something freeing about that. Scary at times, I get it. But freeing at the same time, isn't there? And he calls us in this text, you can rest in God fully, holding nothing back with all your heart. It's, I'm either going to, think about this. This is crazy. So, Doug Finkbeiner, here I am, I'm born, I've been born, as you know. And at some point I'm going to die. I don't know. What's God going to give me? 70, 80 years, whatever. Here I am. That's it. Long before I was, God was. And after I'm gone, God will be. So here I am in America with this little experience over this little period of time. I come upon a situation. I say, I know what God says, but I think. Like, how dumb is that, folks? Isn't that what we do? I know what you said, God. God who is all in all. And here's Doug Finkbeiner. And this text says, rest in God fully. Secondly, not only should we rest in God fully, but we should know God pervasively. Look at what he goes on to say here in verse seven, 6. In all your ways, acknowledge or know him and he will make your path straight. Now, I have to tell you, I've used this story before only because when I, when I look at this passage, there is one experience in my life 
which just comes right to the surface again and again because of the way God used this verse. So let me share it with you. So I was taking a class on the book of Proverbs and we were working through the Hebrew and translating to all that kind of good stuff. And I was a youth pastor. So this story goes back pre-kids. Like that's way, way, way back, way back. And I was a youth pastor and um, I was driving home. My wife and I had been married probably a year. Not that long. And I remember calling Sherry up on the phone and I said, honey, I'll be home at six o'clock but I have to go back out at 7. I had to visit some teens or something. I don't remember what it was. So could you have supper ready at 6 o'clock? I mean, that seems somewhat reasonable, doesn't it? So, so I drove in the house in my driveway, and as I'm driving, I'm thinking, this is going to be great. going to pull in, going to go in, and there's going to be this beautiful meal on the table. Smells so good. I'm going to smile at my wife, hug her. She'll smile. Yeah, the whole thing. We'll sit down, we'll have this great meal together, we'll laugh and uh, so forth, and then I'll say goodbye and hop on the car with a smile and go back. I mean, nothing wrong with that, is there? I mean, do you look at me and say, man, think about it, you're, that's really perverse. No, you got pretty, not, pretty normal, right? Kind of what you expect. When I walked into the house, guess what? Supper wasn't even started yet. So what do you do? Well, we're all children in different ways. So I have my own strategies with my wife when I don't like what she's done. Um, What I will normally do, and you can verify this with Sherry, is I will mumble under my breath loud enough so she can hear me, but not loud enough so she knows exactly what I'm saying. So I walked in and I normally hug her and ask her how her day was. And I saw all this and I just was like, what? And I just whisked right by her. And under my breath, I'm going like, what's wrong with her? Like, doesn't she care about our relationship? All I asked her to do is have supper ready. We only have an hour together. Doesn't she care? Like, what's up with her? You, you know what you, what you do? All that stuff spinning through my, ha- my head. But I was a pastor, so I felt kind of bad that I was doing this. So I said, honey... I'll be translating from the Bible when supper's ready. Just let me know. You know, and I threw down the Hebrew text and I said, I can't believe this. Doesn't she, you know, doesn't she know? Blah, blah, blah. You, you know what you do, right? We all do it, right? And once you know it in God's good grace, I was right here. I was right here in Proverbs 3 translating. Can I paraphrase? In all your ways acknowledge him. In every situation of life, ask yourself what it means to know God. That's what it says. Who was I thinking of when I walked in the door that day? Yeah. What I was telling Sherry is, Sherry, if life is going to work, we must all bow down and worship at the shrine of Doug's comfort (laughs) and ease. If you worship there, we're going to have a great relationship. But if you don't, I will play God with you and I will mete out my judgment upon you by giving you the silent treatment and not hugging you and whisking by you. Isn't that what I was doing? And the Spirit of God took the Word of God 
drove that truth deep in my heart. And God said, Doug, you are an idolater. Not because I wanted something gross, perverse. I just wanted me to be center and my comfort, my whatever, whatever it is. Do you see how subtle that is? Now, what am I saying? Am I saying when I came in the house and sure you said supper's not ready, I should have said, praise the Lord. Now, that'd be weird too. I'm sorry, but that'd be weird. I'm just saying. But what should I say that would be constructive for the relationship to the glory of God rather than destructive to the relationship? You see the difference? And so I would have to be honest with Sherry. Sherry, I'm really disappointed. Supper wasn't ready. I thought that, but I want you to know I disappoint God all the time and he's really incredibly gracious to me. Help me to understand and what can I do to help? Now, that, that would have been a good response, right? But man, when I was walking in the door that day, this passage, in all your ways acknowledge no God. Now, I was saying in this situation, let's know Doug. That's what counts. And God says, if life is going to come together in a way that honors him, and you are really going to be wise in all your relationships, it has to start with him where you rest in him completely. And you seek to know him pervasively in every situation of life. You notice the promise there? And he will smooth out your path. That doesn't mean your life is going to be easy. That's not the point. You know what he does say? Your life will have purpose and meaning and direction. Often in scripture, the way of the fool is like somebody that gets caught wandering in this maze of thorn bushes and everything. And we've all, you, you, you've been hiking, you got lost, and you just have to make your way through these thorn bushes. It's awful. And God says, the way of the fool is, their life sets that up. But for my people, when they know me and rest in me, doesn't mean life is easy. It means their life has direction and purpose in it. And that's what I want for my people. God's not against us. Knock that over here. I'm not careful. God's not against us. He's for us in Jesus Christ. Rest in God fully. Know him pervasively. Take him seriously. Verses 7 and 8. Look at what it says. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. I would argue that the controlling statement there is the second one, fear the Lord. What he says is, I want my people not only to rest in me completely, not only to know me pervasively, but I want them to take me seriously. I want them to fear me. I want them to realize that all, and and that doesn't mean like I go around like petrified, but I do go away around walking with this incredible awe that I walk before a holy God who is creator. He's outside of creation. He's above me. And yet he is for me. And I take him seriously. And therefore, I don't seek to be wise in my own eyes. I can do it my way. Rather, I I, I humbly come before him and I, I say, 
I actually get to serve you. Like, wow. I mean, the God of the universe, that's because of Christ. Thank you. Do you see the difference? And therefore, the reason I shun evil is because the life at the end of the day is not about what people want or what I want. Life is about living to the glory of the true and living God. And that dominates everything. So it's not about Doug Finkbeiner knows it on his own. No, I don't. I need you, God. And I want you to be the center of my life. I want to take you seriously. Perhaps when you were in high school, you heard the Invictus by Hensley. Can I read it to you? It's terrible, but I'll read it. Talking about being wise in your own eyes and not fearing God, here it is. Hensley says this, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate. He doesn't care about the idea that there's only one way to live. He's just attacking the whole Matthew 7 image there. How charged with punishments the scroll. Who cares if there's a God who says you're going to be responsible to me and I'll open the scrolls one day. Who cares? I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Can I read something else to you? This doesn't come from Hensley. It comes from a Disney movie. A movie that most of us have probably seen. And, and on, this, on this app here with Disney, it starts out by saying this. Listen to this. Folks, this is unbelievable. This is Disney. Family-friendly Disney. When all, when all else fails, ask yourself what Elsa would do. I'll just read a couple of the lines here from the song, Let It Go, which doesn't sound to me like a very good idea either. The snow glows white on the mountain tonight, not a footprint to be seen, a kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside, couldn't keep it in, heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you were always, uh, always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. But let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, let it go. I am the one with the wind in the sky. Let it go, let it go. You'll never see me cry. 
Here I stand and here I'll stay. Let the storm rage on. There's another verse. That's enough. Is it really any different than Hensley? Is it? Uses the same kind of imagery. And it's being taught to our three and four-year-olds. Isn't it? Because it's a really catchy tune. And it is. I mean, you've ever heard the song, man. It's just, it just, I get it. I get it. But what about the message? The message is be wise in your own eyes. Do whatever you want. And don't worry about God. Family-friendly Disney. That's not how the scripture frames it, folks. If you go down that path, it is the path of pure foolishness. But if God is the one you take serious, if he's the center, if your life is all about going deeper in the way you understand him, and in all living for his glory by his help, you'll know what it means to be wise. Look at the promise he gives here in verse 8. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now, I know this has sometimes been used by the health and wealth gospel to suggest that um, if you do what, you're, what people tell you to do, you'll never be sick. That's just a lie, folks. It's just not, it's not true. They're not reading scripture. It's just not true. But I think what he is saying is this. There is a whole series of physical ailments that come in connection with sometimes what we call psychosomatic issues. Because of the guilt and the shame and how I'm feeling inside, it has repercussions on on what happens in my physical body. And I think what this text is telling us is all of those kinds of things you're freed from. Doesn't mean you're not going to get sick, but there, there's not a, a guilt-driven lifestyle that then results in these physiological things. No, 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 no. God says, I want to preserve you from those kinds of things. Through the years, I've counseled with enough people and some folks, their life, their stress, much of which that they bring on themselves, is so intense I sometimes think when I'm meeting with them, this person is going to drop dead of a heart attack because it's so much and they're bearing it because of consequences of their own acts. And what God says in this passage is he wants to preserve us from that. That doesn't mean you're not going to get sick. We're all going to die if Jesus tarries. One on one, one in one, it's pretty clear. But what it means is I can work through the, walk through those situations knowing that all is well with God. God wants to preserve us from those kinds of ailments which are connected to the shame and guilt that we brought upon ourselves. What's it mean to live life wisely? It means to rest in God fully. It means to know him pervasively it means to take him seriously. And next, in verses 9 and 10, it means to give to God graciously. Listen to what he says. 
Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim, brim over with new wine. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on that one because Tim is going to be talking about that, those kinds of things next week. That is picked up directly in Malachi next week. Okay, We talked a little bit about it with the offerings. But all this passage is saying is, at the end of the day, when I look at all the things in this life that I say are mine, this text says, oh no, that's the wrong way of saying it. You look at all of life and you say, everything is God's. He's the owner. And I'm a steward of it. So the question is, how will I steward what God has actually given me? And so my resources, my time, my talents, my treasure, the whole thing is his. And therefore, I make decisions as a steward, not as an owner. And that is a big difference, isn't it? And when you do, this text promises, yeah, it's, it's true. When you look at this, he says, man, your vats are just going to be pouring over with wine. They're going to, you know, in the, in the ancient world, they lived for harvest season. So barley season came in the spring and then wheat and then later came the grapes and turned into wine, the whole thing. And what he's saying is, I will provide abundantly for my people. As they seek to be stewards of what I have given them. Now, the way he blesses us in the New Testament era is not this. Doesn't mean God's going to like all of a sudden you go to your bank account and you go like, holy mackerel, there's $100,000 in there. Thank you, God. Don't work that way. But you know what it does me? When I live my life where God is the center and I want to just give of what he's given to me graciously back to him and to the needs of others, I will enjoy enriched relationships and opportunities that go beyond anything I could have ever imagined. So when Jesus talks about following him, and he says, look, for many of you, you're giving up lands and you're giving up family relationships to follow me, and I will give you a hundredfold as much. I will give you enriched relationships and opportunities that you can't possibly imagine. That's the way I'll bless you. Give to God graciously. And lastly, in verses 11 and 12, submit to God continually. Look at what he says. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This particular passage is quoted and unpacked in greater detail in Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament. One of the things the writer of Hebrews wants us to know, because when I look at you and I say, discipline, does that bring a smile to your face? Do you go like, oh, I love discipline. Yes. (laughs) Beat me. You know, whatever, you know, whatever, you know. I I mean, you know what I mean? No, who likes, I mean, you know what I mean? When we normally think of discipline, we think of, I got caught. And someone's, and there's consequences, right? That's true. There is what we call corrective discipline. But as the writer of Hebrews unpacks this, 
he also talks about what we often call formative discipline. Formative discipline means I've not done anything wrong, but I need to be trained to learn life skills. So, and I, I think I've used this with you before. When my kids were, you know, three, four years of age and we started to teach them how to tie their shoes, it wasn't like they had done anything wrong. It wasn't like you sat them down on the couch and you say, because of what you said to your sister's sister, you are going to learn to tie your shoes. No. I just wanted them to know, honey, when you're 18, I don't want to be tying your shoes. Like, you got to learn how to tie your shoes. You're going to go to school in a couple of years. So here's how we do it with the rabbit ears, you know, all that stuff that you go through to try to teach them how to do their, their, their shoes. But you, what am I doing? I'm disciplining them. I'm training them. They haven't done anything wrong. But they need to have some of that pressure put in their life so they can take the next step in their growth for God. Make sense? So there's both what we call formative discipline and corrective discipline. So if you think of discipline, think a little bit more broadly about that. What's the first thing you think when something bad happens to you? Well, some people say, what did I do wrong? It's not necessarily a bad thing to think, but honestly, I, sometimes people say, my life is, I'm having all these problems, but I can't identify any sin that I'm holding on to or whatever. Well, you know what then? If the Spirit of God doesn't bring it to mind, assume that that's not why this is happening. Assume that God is just allowing it in your life, not because you've done anything wrong, because he's just deepening you in your faith walk with him in some way. I mean, really, can you imagine if I tell my children, okay, son, I'm going to have to uh, correctively discipline you right now. What did I do? I'm not telling you that. That's none of your business. Just, just be quiet and accept what dad does. What kind of father would I be? If the Spirit of God hasn't revealed it in your heart as to what's going on, you've prayed, you've t- then, then it's something he's allowed in your life not because you need to repent of something, just because you need to trust him through it. Having said that, no, none of us like it. The tendency in this text, when, when the, the Greek translates these two ideas, it says, don't, don't, in Hebrews 12, it says, don't despise and don't become weary. And, and, and a fellow by the name of Derek Kidner years ago argued that the one was more of a thing of the will, and the other was more emotional. And what he said was, the tendency sometimes for people is, when difficulty thing, difficult things are happening, what they say is they say, God, stop it. I don't like what you're doing. You better stop it now or else. And they despise him for what he's done because it's will against will. But there's other people that emotionally, they're so drained they just want to give up. They're just exasperated. They just... Ugh. And this text tells us, folks, that God is not against you in discipline. He's for you in discipline. One of the finest books that's been written on this topic is by C.S. Lewis called The Problem of Pain. You've ever read it. And, and I love it 
What I love about Lewis is he's so open and honest, and he still redirects us to God. And when he, he writes that book after his wife has passed, and he loved her deeply. And he says, I don't like pain. We call it pain for a reason, because it hurts. And he said, I would swim through a sewer if I could avoid pain. However, he says, God has chosen pain to be his means through which he makes us what God wants us to be. And he made another statement. This, this was, re- now listen to it, so don't lose me on this. It's pretty good. It's really good. Lewis says this in the book. When we complain about our suffering, we are not asking for more love, although we think we are, aren't we? When suffering comes, don't you think, God, you don't love me, so I need more love from you. Lewis says, we are not asking for more love. We are actually asking for less. That's profound if you think about it. God says, for whatever reason, I have allowed this into your life. I am not against you. If I pull back, that would be an act of less love. I've allowed this because I do love you. But it doesn't feel like love. I, we, we get that. My kids were really young and um, we, we, we spanked using one of those uh, glue sticks. You know what I mean? Because they, they don't do damage, but boy, do those babies stink. Well, and, and um, I never, I never in all the time, I, you know, would deal with my boys and I'd say, okay, Matt, up to the bedroom. Never had Matt say, hey, dad, just before, before you uh, spank me, I want you to know, th- I, want, I want you to know I thank you for this. You are, man, you're the best. I know you normally hit me once. Will you hit me twice? Because I want this in my mind. I want to remember this moment. Uh, not my kids. My kids are cutting every deal imaginable. Hey, Dad, I'll do this. And, hey, I'll do the dishes tonight. You know, they're, 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 cutting, they're just cutting all kinds of deals. And that's my tendency. When difficulty comes into my life, whether it's formative or corrective discipline, I start cutting deals with God. And God says, I love you too much to pull back on this right now. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. We all have our painful stories. And I remember when my, uh, when my sister passed away at the age of 44 back 20 years ago. Um, it made absolutely no sense to me. She was godly, had just gotten married, committed to minister to children in, in a teaching setting. Just, just, she was stellar at every level. If you knew my sister Robin, she was stellar. And God took her. Because he didn't love her, right? No. 
He loved Robin through that entire process. He loved her. And it would be loving her less if he would have pulled back. And he loved me, her brother, who had to watch her die. And didn't understand. Kept wondering, God, I got a whole list of people that should go before Robin. Just if you want to know. God said, Doug, I am for you in Jesus Christ. And, And God did special things for me in that process. Brought songs on the radio just at the right time, which ministered to my soul exactly the way I needed Uh, That's coincidence. I don't believe it. That was the Spirit of God. And I don't have all the answers for you, folks. Why did that happen? I don't know. I don't know. But I know Him. And I know He's for me. And I know He's for Robin. And I know He's for the rest of my family and all our friends. That's, That's who He is. So what happens if you and I in our lives go deeper into the idea of resting in God fully, knowing him pervasively, taking him seriously, giving to him graciously, and submitting to him continually? I would argue that that becomes the foundation of a life of wisdom and the blessings that only heaven will reveal for each one of us. Stories told of a young father who worked hard all day, and when he came home, he wanted to have some time with his kids, but he just kind of felt like he needed a breather, you know, so much, so much. And so he came home from work, and sure enough, his three-year-old came bounding in there and wanting to play with him right away. And he thought, oh, I don't want to disappoint this little guy. So he came up with an idea. He had a newspaper sitting right there, and there was this, uh, there, there was this um, um, a picture of, of, of the world. And, you know, with the, the, the dark and light-colored stuff. So he cut it up and turned it into a puzzle. The little pieces. And he gave all the little pieces to his son. He said, son, why don't you go in the other room? Why don't you put this puzzle together? And when you're done, daddy will play with you. So the boy took the pieces and it's off and gone. Dad figures he has at least 15, 20 minutes. The boy was back in five minutes. And he told his son, son, um, how'd you do that so fast? He said, well, it was easy, Daddy, because on the flip side, there was an advertisement with a stick figure of a man. And when you put the man together, the whole world falls into place. It's true for us, folks. When you put the man together, the woman together, by building the foundation here, then and only then can the whole world begin to fall into place. Father, thank you for your word. 
I pray that your spirit will do a deep dive into our hearts, Lord. And reveal those areas where we have been holding back or becoming embittered or giving up or just a whole host of things, Lord. Father, enliven our parched souls. May we know afresh the living water of your word. May it reorient who we are before you so that we can be different as husbands and wives and parents and children and church members and co-workers and neighbors. Father, thank you for your word. May we know the life of wisdom only because we've come to know you through Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. We, uh, once a month, celebrate the Lord's Supper. And you can see here we have both the cup and the bread that we'll be passing out in just a moment. And I just, just again, I want to explain to you why, why is it that we do this? There's, there's nothing magical here, you know? I always say, like, it's not when you take the, the drink and you go, like, man, poor baby, am I ready to go? It doesn't work that way. No, th- there's nothing magical. However, this is a time for you and I to meditate afresh on the wonders of the cross of Christ. And it's only because Christ has died for us and risen that we can truly, by knowing him, begin to live lives that are marked by wisdom because it's in Christ that all wisdom ultimately resides. And so as we take the cup and and also the bread, for those of you who have have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, because it's it's for those who are believers in Christ, would you think afresh about the wonders of the cross?
want to invite you to uh, take the uh, bread wafer that is in the cup. And I'll read to you the Lord's instruction concerning receiving uh, these elements this morning. Paul says, For I received of the Lord that what I, which I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The text goes on to say this. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake together. Amen. Lord, as we prepare to sing our closing song this morning, we are mindful that we have access to you only and through your shed blood. And Lord, you remind us through the love that is expressed at the cross that you care about every aspect of our lives. This morning, Lord, we lift up our sister Diana Kelly before you. God, we simply ask that rich favor uh, would dwell upon her life today, upon her extended family as they walk through this uh, difficult season. Uh, Father, do and show them amazing things. Above all, God, we trust you with her life. We trust you with our lives, Lord. That's what this text calls us to do, to trust you with all of our hearts, even in the things that we don't understand. So we lift Diana before you, God, and ask that extreme favor and even healing would rest on her today and upon her family, your rich and beautiful grace made available through the cross of Christ. And then as, uh, as we share after this song, fellowship together, God, enrich our hearts through the conversations that we share in Jesus. Pray for these blessings in his beautiful name. And all God's people say, amen. Would you stand with me as we sing our closing song this morning? strength there is strength within the sorrow there is beauty in our tears and you meet us in our morning with the love that casts out fear Forgotten us, 
You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever and perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Your wisdom. You are wisdom unimagined. Who could understand your way? Reigning high above the heavens. Reaching down in endless grace. You're the lifter. You're the lifter of the lowly. Compassionate and kind. You surround. You uphold. You surround and you uphold me. And your promises are my delight. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign. Even what the enemy, even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. And you're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. And you're faithful. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Yes, Lord, thank you this morning that we can spend time singing together, being a community of believers together, participating in communion together. And God, we thank you that even in the midst of trials and, and issues and things that we think aren't fair and discipline and punishment that it seems... The things we look to you and blame you and shake our fists at you. Thank you that you move are moving towards us. You move towards us in those. You are loving us more in those. 
So God, whatever the circumstances in our life is today that is feeling like pushing away from uh, us from you, may we be reminded, and thank you that we were reminded of the fact that you are moving towards us. Your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. God, thank you for this time together. We ask now as we go into our weeks, you'd be with us, and that we'd be closer to you than we have been before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.